0: Immediately following this service, there will be um, a dinner in the church community room directly behind us here. The family invites you to stay and be part of the dinner and give them a chance to to visit with you and interact with you. And they do appreciate you coming today. A little bit later in the service, there will be an opportunity for those of you who would like to share a brief word of remembrance about Bob. And you may want to be thinking about that as um, we take the opportunity to share memories and thoughts of uh, Bob in our lives. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Bob Brown. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. During this time together, may God search each of our hearts, that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you that even in the face of death, we experience you as the giver of all life. In this hour together, help us to worship you with all of our hearts. Help us to hear your words of grace and comfort. As we've learned to do in all of our experiences, we come to you now in the hour of death. We know that you love us, that you can turn even the shadow of death into the light of mourning. So help us to wait before you with reverent and submissive hearts. Make this a time of opening our eyes and our understanding and a time of encouragement to our hearts and our souls. We pray that you will bless those who feel this sorrow most deeply and cause the bonds of Christian love to bind us closer together so that we may share with them and with each other the spiritual strength, the faith in you, which is ours through the love of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing the opening hymn, Amazing Grace.
1: I want to thank you all for coming, and I want to assure you that I'm not up here texting who's here. But it was a way for me to get my words that I wanted to say to you in a format that I could read. Sunday, the day of my brother's passing, my journal entry. In all my years, I have never been at a loss for words. I am the brown child that speaks and speaks loudly and speaks often. And it's the way my God created me. But this day is a day filled for me with mixed feelings. And I've had a hard time with my thoughts. I weep with sadness at the heartache that my parents are enduring at the loss of a child. As a mother of four, I cannot fathom it. But I rejoice with the heavenly host who have welcomed my brother into their fold. Bob was so at peace with his life. This summer I had the opportunity to sit out with him out back on the patio of their house. And he told me he was going to fight and pursue any method he could to stay with us a little while longer. To the depths of my heart, I'm so thankful. He isn't struggling anymore with the chemo and the tests and the medical procedures and the emergencies that he had to endure. He is at peace. He is at eternal peace. These are tears of joy mixed with tears of sorrow. How can there not be? If you believe in God's redeeming grace and love, you have hope after death. We simply are facing that spiritual principle in a very raw and loving way. On Wednesday after my brother's death, I had my first solo ride on my motorcycle, promptly named Harley Girl. I have always ridden beside my husband, Andy, it was his passion for the bikes. But I drove that bike to work at school and then home again at the end of the day. And it was awesome. I was the coolest substitute teacher in that entire school district. (laughs) I'd like to think that my brother Bob would have been exceptionally proud of me and smiled with me and given me lots of encouragement to do it again, but to all honesty, my brother would have looked me straight in the face and said, Why haven't you done it before now? What were you waiting for? I wasn't waiting for anything. But I didn't want to waste another day not doing something that was right before my very eyes. I've said it before that I want to run at life. And if you ask my family, I run at life a lot and I fall down and I get scarred and then I jump back up and tell you that it was really fun and why you should all do it too. But Bob told me that when he didn't have a lot longer to live, that he wasn't going to sit around in the snow and the cold and wait to die. He was going to go do some things that he wanted to do. And I believe he wanted to keep running at life. I want to thank you for all of your prayers and your kind words. I know you think your words were inadequate to my family, but they are a loving comfort in our sorrow. Your prayers were not unanswered let me say that again your prayers were not unanswered we could feel your love and your support god was and is still faithful to lead us through and i'm giving god the glory in all of this and some of you can ask why how can you do that in your brother's death Scripture says in Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours. Because I believe that all scripture is true and inspired by the breath of God, I know that Bob is in heaven right now. And it doesn't require me to understand it all. It requires me to have faith and keep believing. Mom and Dad, thank you for giving me a big brother. And thank you for taking care of him and loving him so well. And to God be the glory in all of us.
2: Mom asked me to read this. Um, I wrote it the morning that they turned off the respirator. Let me tell you about my big brother Bob. First of all, he had clearly studied the big brother manual for annoying the mess out of siblings. In fact, I am convinced that he and me have been a contributing ed- editor. Ten years my senior, he always had a height and weight advantage that despite my best efforts, I was never able to overcome. At six foot four, there was simply no physical challenge. This resulted in all the torture you'd expect from an older, larger brother, including but not limited to, hanging me upside down by my ankles, tickling me until I cried, using my own hand to slap me, and then saying, Stop hitting yourself. (laughs) And the ever-popular holding your arm out straight and placing your palm on my forehead so I could never reach him to retaliate, retaliate. Because he was so much older, it must have been child's play to torment me intellectually. At various points in time, he had me convinced that I was adopted or alternately that the gypsies had left me on the doorstep And that the only reason I was in the family, because my parents felt so bad for such an ugly baby. (laughs) At age eight, I never understood why I always preferred to take my younger sister, Jennifer, to college with him to, quote, see his friends. For years, I lived with the belief that he simply didn't like me, until I learned much later from my older and wiser sister, Carolyn, That Jennifer was an innocent pawn used as bait to pick up college girls who love babies. (laughs) At one point, I thought I might try to overcome his intellectual advantage, which I naively believed was solely the result of his advanced years. I became an overachiever, and I poured my efforts into my grades and my SAT score. These efforts were in vain when I found out, by my mom and dad, that of all the children, Bob had the highest IQ. Round two, Bob. As adults, we've had a somewhat conflicted relationship. We never lived close enough to develop a true one. My recollections of our adult years range from spending time with his children, Tiffany and Justin, who were absolutely the highlight of his and Cindy's visits, to prearranging a, sing- a signal with my sisters that would allow me to escape one of his discussions before I got too angry and said something very hurtful. I'm not kidding. Jen, Carolyn, and I would have a predetermined code word. As the conversation headed towards the inevitable conflict of opinions, Carolyn would ask me to come and check on whatever it was she was cooking, Now, if you know my sister, and if you've ever tasted one of her mouth-watering sweet pickles or award-winning pies, you know she did not need any culinary advice from me. Other times, Jen would see that my eyes would flash, and she would invite Bob out onto the porch for a smoke. It was a tacit agreement to help things run smoothly on our rare visits. When Bob and Cindy were on the brink of their divorce, I, I sided with Cindy. She was a friend to me, and I her children were precious and it hurt me to think of them not being together as a family. I never voiced this to Bob or to Cindy, but I think he sensed it and as the divorce was finalized. I'm sure my reaction to their marital struggles contributed to what became, a separation from me emotionally and from our family. We heard from him seldom as he traveled the West Coast. He always maintained contact with Mom and Dad, but I even lost touch with C- Cindy, Tiffany, and Justin over the years as they relocated, and so did I. It is one of my deepest regrets. And then when Thanksgiving, we were introduced to Ann and Siv. <laughs> I hadn't seen or heard from Bob in years. And suddenly my mom managed a coup. And those of you who know her know she does these often. And and she got the whole family together for the holidays. What a delightful surprise to be introduced to such an intelligent, witty, beautiful woman. And... Her brilliant mother. I remember saying to my mom at one point, Wow, how does Bob keep ending up with these awesome ladies? (laughs) How did he end up with her? Anne could hold her own in any argument. And suddenly, Bob was quieter and more thoughtful. Whether this came through his years of travel... Or whether it developed as a result of his maturation process and his walk with the Lord, I do not know. But at the time, I attributed it to Ann. My heart started to soften towards this big brother of mine, this giant bear of a man. Who had lived through a lot, and he was still willing to give us another chance. Soon a baby was on the way, and how can I describe the joy of precocious little Alexandra, who has melted all of our hearts? Watching my girls take turns playing with her this past winter as we visited with Bob and Anne, was so bittersweet. Just a few short months prior to this time together, my big brother, my childhood tormentor, my intellectual nemesis was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Simply put, it's not the good kind. There is no cure. There are no good outcomes, physically speaking. The best medicine has to offer is a crapshoot for extending the life maybe a year or maybe two. All of us were tested for bone marrow matches, including some very dear friends. Thank you to those of you who did that for him. None were found. As we have prayed and hoped, struggled and watched, his leukemia became chemo-resistant and his body took a beating from the treatments and the clinical trials that the human body was never meant to endure. This morning as I write this, they are going to turn off the respirator. We do not know how long or if his body can withstand the step, but the doctors and family agreed that it is time. So as I sat at my computer with tears streaming down my face. And now as I speak to you, I'm so thankful for the time that we spent with him and his family. Watching his huge frame bend gently down to dance with his sweet Alex is a memory I will always treasure. I hope she always knows just Just how much her daddy loves her. I hope Anne knows just how much our family loves and admires her. I hope Cindy and Tiffany and Justin know that they are now and always will be loved and a part of our family no matter what has happened or what will happen. And as the respirator pushes the last burst of air through my big brother's lungs, I'm reminded of his quiet confidence, gained in the knowledge of a deep work of grace and the power of God at work in his life during his past year. He called my mother in to lean down close to his mouth, and he said to her, Remember, no matter what happens, Mom, for me it's win win. Well said. Round three,
3: Bob.
0: I'm gonna give you an opportunity to share a brief word, a brief remembrance. Anyone have something you would like to share? Let me encourage you in the next few days and weeks to um, perhaps write a note to Bob's family, give them a call, uh, tell them a story, just to uh, encourage them. And also, it helps us as uh, we uh, communicate these things to remember and to remember a life that uh, which we've been blessed. Thank you. Hear the word of the Lord from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake.
4: My helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my thought, my sin not in part, but the whole. the back as a scroll and the troll
0: some point in time we are all going to face. Some of us have already faced times of great loss and pain, and today feels as though it's just a continuation of so much of what life has brought to us. For others, gathering today is a relatively new experience, something for which we have little personal context in order to process all that we are feeling and witnessing. But either way, in whatever frame of mind we may come, we all agree that death is an unwelcomed intruder. We run from it. We do everything in our power to avoid it. We always sense that we are never quite ready for it. I think this is especially true when death intrudes upon someone in the prime of life. In these cases, it feels even more intrusive, even more unexplainable, even more painful. And though we'd have, we don't have answers for our questions, at least answers that satisfy all of our questions, we do have a resource to which we can turn and find strength and help, find hope and light. and turn to God's word. And there is perhaps no more profound, no more historically comforting section of the Bible in times of struggle and pain than the 23rd Psalm. Carol shared with me this week, it's, it's, the, along with so many people through the ages, the 23rd Psalm has been one of those passages of Scripture that has meant so much to her. Throughout their lives, these words have been very special and precious and Especially during Bob's illness, these words kept coming back to them again and again. It's not difficult to see why this brief psalm could speak so deeply into our human hearts. These words became the representation of God's faithfulness to Bob in his struggle. And the representation of God's faithfulness to Carol and Bob in their struggle as well. It is a powerful promise of God. It is a word that speaks into our souls at all times of life, but especially at the time of death. The opening words of Psalm 23 describe this beautiful picture of the true essence of our Lord and his feelings toward us. The psalm tells us that the Lord is our shepherd, a shepherd who feeds his sheep, protects his sheep, cares for his sheep. It's the picture of a sleepless Far-sighted, weather-beaten shepherd watching over his sheep. His wisdom and goodness and strength are all that the sheep need. Gradually, the sheep feel that as long as they have this shepherd, all their needs will be met. This powerful image of a caring, loving shepherd is so real that it's not surprising in the crises of life that people turn to this psalm to be assured of God's presence and grace. When life is overwhelming, God gives rest by quiet waters. He is our refuge and strength who restores our souls, because in all of life, he is with us. The psalmist reminds us that the shepherd, shepherd offers his companionship, his presence, so that we are never alone. It's the shepherd's presence with us that gives the psalmist confidence to declare, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In Palestine, there is actually a valley that was named the shadow of death. It was a frightening place for sheep to traverse. But David, in picturing this crisis experience, is saying, Don't forget, don't lose heart. Remember, you're not alone. God is with you. God is with you today as he is with you every single day. The crises of life may shake us, but they do not diminish the reality of God's presence with us. When you think about the powerful image of God in this psalm, It's no wonder that Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. Not a shepherd who leaves his sheep to follow selfish desires. Not a shepherd who runs when danger is near. But a shepherd who loves his sheep, cares for his sheep, knows his sheep, protects his sheep, even lays down his life for his sheep. A shepherd whose purpose for existence is to be in relationship with his sheep to lead his sheep into a life of abundant joy and love and peace. Notice that David speaks of a shepherd leading his sheep. When we think of moving animals, we tend to think of a cattle drive in which a rancher pushes the livestock. But in the Middle East, shepherds walk in front of the sheep. Shepherds don't drive their sheep. they lead the sheep where they want them to go. And I think it's important to understanding of God that He doesn't push us where He wants us to go. He gently leads us. He shows us the way. He reveals the path that is best, and more than anything, God walks the path ahead of us. I think these images are important because in times of pain, we often develop a skewed view of God. Perhaps because of our experiences with some Christians, we have an image in our minds of a God who is harsh, an image of God whose primary purpose is to just get us to do what he wants us to do, however unnatural it may seem to us. But this is not the God we see revealed in the scriptures and particularly in this Psalm. Our God only leads us down paths that he knows are best for us. His purpose for leading us is to direct us away from what is harmful toward what will bring us the greatest blessing for which we are created. I realize that sometimes it feels like he's preventing us from experiencing what we want to do, but only in the sense of a loving parent who leads their child away from walking into a busy highway. It seems like we're being denied an exciting experience. But he's actually saving our lives. And we need to understand that God only leads us down paths that he has already walked before us. This is the power of Jesus, who at Christmas becomes a human baby with all of our human limitations, and eventually goes to the cross and takes our sins upon himself in order to set us free. This is the God who leads us. And when we understand these truths about God, then when life takes those hard, troubling turns such as we face today, We can lean back on the assurance that we are in the hands of God who loves us, who cares for us, who's with us, who can be trusted with our very lives. You know that Bob's life was filled with highs and lows, as all of our lives are in one way or another. He had some successes, he had some failures, and there's not one of us here who cannot relate to that. It's life but one constant through all of his life was his compassion for people in need. He was a friend you could count on. He cared about people that others might not want to care for. He was friends with people that others might avoid. He gave second chances and third chances and took risks on people because he loved, he believed, he cared. And I suspect that some of you are here today because Bob reached out to you. He befriended you because you, you sensed in him acceptance and love and kindness. In fact, being here today might well be your means of expressing gratitude to him. It doesn't imply that God that Bob couldn't be direct with people or that he wouldn't get into someone's face and tell them what he thought. And sometimes he did that and he was right, and sometimes he wasn't. Some of you heard this as the girls shared. And some of you are remembering those things even as you sit here now. In the past few years, one subject that would bring passion to Bob's voice was Jesus. Because Bob's spiritual experience was one of highs and lows he seemed to feel even more passion to talk about his experience with Jesus. Sometimes his passion might have felt overwhelming, but it really just came down to this. He had experienced genuine peace and joy in surrendering his life to Jesus, and he wanted everybody else to experience that too. And I think that if Bob could stand before us today and say one thing, It might be this, as much as I love all of you, as important as all of you are to me, and you are very, very important to me, no one loves you more than Jesus. No one cares for you more than Jesus. You will never do anything more important, more significant with your life than to trust Jesus. And now Bob's faith has become reality. He's trusted his life to Christ, and now he's rejoicing in the presence of his Savior, receiving his heavenly reward. And I know that nothing would thrill him more than for all of us to know that we will see him again someday, because we've trusted our lives to Christ too. The psalm concludes reminding us that God's presence and plans do not end when life does, God promises an eternal reward for all who follow him, who dwell in his house forever. And those who trust in Christ will remain in his fellowship throughout all eternity and experience the fullness of his joy and his life that we can only begin to experience now on this earth. And now, Bob who is with his Savior, the Good Shepherd, and all is well for him. He's understanding the fullness of the Good Shepherd's love and joy and life. And he wants us to experience that same love and joy and life that only the Good Shepherd can give. Years ago, there was a minister who was going to speak at a church in Norfolk, Virginia. The church had asked him to send his sermon title ahead so they could publicize his coming. And it was in the day when churches would publicize on on the Saturday papers about, especially for a guest speaker, about what the sermon was going to be. It was getting close to the time when the paper needed to go to press. And so instead of calling the church, the minister called the, the newspaper itself. And he said to them, My sermon is, The Lord is my shepherd. And the person at the newspaper said, Is that all? He said, That's enough. And we got to the town the next day, he looked at the newspaper, and it said his sermon title was, The Lord is my shepherd, that's enough. (laughs) And he began his sermon by saying, You know, that might have been an error in print but it's really the truth. And as you come today, as you remember your companion, your son, your father, your brother, nephew, cousin, uncle, friend, as you place Bob into the care of the Good Shepherd, Be sure that the Lord in whom he trusted his life calls us to trust him with our lives. That we too may find that he is always enough. Always. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are always enough. May your blessing of mercy and grace be poured out on our hearts today. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please stand for the closing hymn as we sing together.